Hey, it's Jamal Bright from AB Nation. This is your chance to tell us and tell the industry, quite frankly, what was the best thing of 2023. Nominations are open now for the AB Nation Reader's Choice Awards. Voting starts in January, but this is your chance to really kind of drive that conversation and tell us what's the best education, what's the best product, and who should be the AV Nation AV Professional of the Year. So go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> On this episode of Resi Week, we talk the modern audiophile, artificial intelligence, as well as women in consumer tech. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week, episode 411, 2023, best of. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, we are changing it up and looking back at the past year of 2023 and picking out some of the most important stories of the year. So we will kick it right off uh, with a conversation about the modern audiophile. Most people have it in their head, uh, again, if you're of a certain age, of that Maxwell commercial of the gentleman sitting in the tub chair and literally just having his hair and his tie and everything blowing behind him. Uh, just far away enough from that two-channel setup and uh, enjoying it. But audio technology has evolved ever since the 80s and when that commercial was at its peak, and integrators need to know what modern audio enthusiasts are looking for, and that's why we talked about it in Resi Week episode 379 with Stephen Bronner and Arlen Schwager. The biggest issue with audiophiles in the younger generation is the cost. Uh, what I find is, is that you read article after article about uh, homes are unaffordable, cars are unaffordable. The average new car these days is $48,000. just heard a report on that. Um, I listen to a lot of financial news. And then when I talk to my younger clients, I'll introduce them to something. I have some totem uh, bookshelves that I take to clients' houses. And I set them up and I always hear the same thing. Holy crap, that sounds amazing. How much is it? And you tell them and they're like, man. And these aren't even that expensive. They're kin um, totem bookshelves with uh, their self-power. They're not that expensive and clients are just like, I really want that sound. But for right now, man, we're just going to use our Sonos portable and, you know, just set it somewhere. Um, I am finding that the audiophile space is heavily dependent on the availability of disposable income. Yeah. And that is what is drawing away the young crowd. It's not necessarily the lack of want to. They want to it. They recognize the quality. They recognize. Otherwise, Title wouldn't have a platform. You yeah. know, Title's entire platform is we sound better. So it's not that they don't want to. It's purely based off the fact that you're trying to sell a really expensive, and I hate the word expensive, it's very subjective. So let's say a, a premium price product. Yeah. So you're selling a premium price product uh, to a clientele that just doesn't have premium money right now. Um, and it's, it's really tough. I just did a backyard demo um, for a set of clients, and they're younger, they've been clients forever. They were on my first Nexus 21 install product. And um, they... They listened to the demo, and I looked at me, and he said, 
Steve and I absolutely love it, but we only have half that to spend. And I said, no problem. That was the origin big ballers that just came out. And luckily, their regular ballers that, that sound phenomenal are literally half the cost. Yeah. So it was it, this time it wasn't that big a deal. But you're talking about this guy's really high up with the corporation he worked for, and his wife is really high up with their corporation, and they're still pension pending. Um, so I would, I would say that before I counted out this generation for their, their taste and quality of music, I would keep in mind that they just don't have them. Looking at what Steven said and coupling that with an experience that we continually have in, in, in my personal company where we'll meet people who are quote unquote audiophiles and they're, they're calling themselves that and they're a step above those portables, <laughs> but they're in their mind, audiophile is not necessarily meaning, you know, luxury audio or, or premium audio necessarily. It's a love of audio and trying to do the best that they can with, again, what they have in that disposable income realm is a lot of this conversation more about really how the, the term has has changed its in its meaning well I, I definitely see those sides of being an audiophile and i see it exactly kind of the way you described you know there's the people who are all about the music and you know you might be talking about someone who has you know six thousand classical records or four thousand jazz records or like me, like a zillion, you know, fish and Grateful Dead bootlegs. Like we all love the music passionately and that's why we're into it. But like when I was, yeah, when I had a stereo system growing up, I had no idea what else was out there. I knew it and I didn't have a budget for it. But if you look at it these days, you know, the great thing is kind of like what Steven was saying. And I, I don't like when. I don't like when things are referred to as expensive as well, especially in the audio industry, because if you go to a good dealer event, and I'm fortunate enough to have audio advice right down, right around the corner from me here in, in, uh, in the Raleigh area, and they put on a, a massive one that I got to attend last year. But third thing is, you know, if you, you go to an event or you go to like a Music Matters night and something like that, and you're going to get people of all budgets, all ranges of budgets. And so one thing that really kind of struck me about the most recent one they had last summer was just that range. They had these massive aspirational products on display and you could listen to some in some, you know, some of them were not active, like the B&W, uh, that crazy Nautilus speaker. Mm -hmm. But others, they had, you know, probably the best room that I heard was um, it was the Martin Logan room with the, uh, the Neoliths that were in there. Mm which, you know, those are big five-figure speakers and not every, and they're not for everyone's room, but it was the most amazing sound that I heard all day. But at the same time, on and, you know, you go up a few floors where they had most of the rooms concentrated, you know, a, a smart company like, you know, then it was called Sound United. Now they've rebranded, but they were able to use that event to show the difference between, you know, Marantz, Denon, and... um you know, some of their higher speakers compared to, say, like their Polk audio brand, which is more for like the, maybe the mainstream consumer or JBL as opposed to JBL synthesis. And so I think if, you know, if, if 
If companies are smart, they can definitely market it the right way, still call it audiophile, and appeal to both music lovers and gearheads. Uh, and you know, one thing I'll throw out reading that article and just things that I experience at shows and having a dealer event can really help with this is music choice and demo music because being able to go there and to have someone who's running the demo say, hey, anyone here have a favorite track they want to hear? It gives the potential buyers real world so they have a reference. And, you know, I, I, I keep seeing videos of trade show reports and they show rooms and you see people in there, the 55 and over crowd listening to something. And it's like, it just looks boring. And so audio is, you know, to me, audio music is one of my favorite things in the world. And it's definitely not boring. And even people who, you know, I see that are into like classical, I say, throw out classical because it's very cool music too. But just the demo choices, I think, I think people would be wise to start at least encouraging, you know, prospects at consumer events to kind of bring their own, you know, either a thumb drive or at least have some, you know, potential references in mind that when someone says, hey, anyone have a suggestion for title here, high res version of something that you've heard on a super mm -hmm. high res or, you know, even a much better upgraded system than they have at home, to me makes a lot more sense than what we're getting now out of demos. Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of Aviation's Estate of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fergoza and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out Estate of Control on aviation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. The next topic we want to talk about is artificial intelligence. AI has made waves across every vertical in the tech space and continues to evolve. Um, I will not get on my pedestal at the moment uh, and go on and on and on uh, about the fact that many situations AI is, is really just machine learning and people just like jumping on the wagon that is AI. The following 45 minutes have been cut for time. But what is actually important here is that uh, AI is everywhere right now and integrators have a chance to use it to better their business. In Resi Week episode 399, we talked to Avi Rosenthal and Bob Archer about what AI can bring to the table and how it can be applied into the residential space and into integrators' businesses. What is really the barrier that we're looking at right now is the reliability of some of these tools. It's not so much that they exist. I play with them. My, my clients play with them. My teammates play with them. It's whether or not they're, they're relevant to our daily life, how they're going to help us, and whether or not we can rely on them to be good actors. Because right now, sometimes you put some stuff in there and let's just say the work product is not up to the same level that you would expect it to be if you did it on your own. So I think what, you know, we're, we are just scratching the surface here. I mean, we are literally, the, this is not even, you can't even use the iceberg metaphor yet because there's not even enough peaking up above the water. I mean, we are really, really in early days, you know, three to five years from now. We are never going to even remember having these conversations because the, the concept of AI and the concept of digital assistance are going to be so ingrained in our daily lives 
it's going to be as if it was always there. And I think that's really where it's headed. But the integrators, like every industry on the planet, shouldn't ignore it. And that's why Henry wrote a really great article about, hey, these are the things that you can start to do now to get yourself used to doing it. I mean, look, I'm in technology, but I got a lot of muscle memory when it comes to the technology that I use and the technology that I interact with. I have to change things that I'm doing in my daily life in order to make sure that I am able to keep up. I look at my kids, that generation, I've got a, a millennial and two Gen Zs, and they are using chat GPT and things like that in school. They're using it in their daily lives. And they're, because of their upbringing in sort of this generational technology stuff, they're much more focused and much more easily adjusted to this new stuff. Integrators have always been a little cautious, right? You know, the, 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 yeah. we're always a little conservative about what we do and how we do it. Henry's article goes a long way to help us understand what we should be doing with these tools and why we shouldn't be ignoring them. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, my friend, Bob. I saved the annoyingly questionable question for you. Well, I'll come up with an annoying answer then. <laughs> you, you'll be fantastic, I promise. One of the things when I saw this that kind of pro popped up into my head and, and uh, gave me a little bit of pause. I remember back in the day when integrators were first starting to add dynamic, you know, imagery to their websites. And then when Instagram popped and all of a sudden you had a litany of conversations happening in chat groups and forums and all this other jazz about a local integrator who has a competitor who's either using his photography or their photography um, or using stock photography to purport that they have built these amazing things that they have never done or potentially have at least never done that look as nice as that it would be like me going in and taking Dennis Erskine's latest theater build and saying, look at what we have done today. Yeah. But Dennis is a nice enough guy. He'll let you use it. No, he won't. <laughs> I've asked. <laughs> Poor Dennis, not even here to defend himself. Are, not at all. Are we at a point and because it's a podcast, you'll probably never hear. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to post it Are now. We at, anyway. Please do. Send it directly to right. him. Are we at a point where there is concern that, heck, not, not even just us, but just companies in general are going to use, again, AI photography mm -hmm. to generate things to market themselves? That's It's on the verge of false advertising. Mm -hmm. I, I think we we are there and um, we as an industry have to be careful of that. You know, you know um, there will be competitors out there in any given market. You know, one will play by the rules, so to speak, but the guy down the street may not. And dealers are going to have to deal with that. I would, would caution people if they're going to use these tools for their sale, sales and marketing efforts, they need to make sure that these tools are truly up to the task. We're talking not only the legalities in the case of photos of copyright and the, and the whole ethical argument of using particular photos, but we're also talking about SEO requirements. If you want to get your business out there, you have to follow the proper SEO guidelines, which is a moving target that Google, we all know Google dictates all of that stuff. And if this um, AI isn't following Google's latest algorithms, 
what good's it going to do you? You've, you've got to vet these these uh, tools. You've got to make sure that they're accurate, they're reliable. They're, we're, we're, we're a long ways off from all of that right now. I think it's good to keep an eye on that stuff, but dealers need to be very cautionary before they step into uh, purchasing these tools and using them to help their businesses. Is there a point where, and, and I'll give you a, an example from our company. We don't do a lot of ultra-modern projects. We just don't. Our, our clientele is not buying um, the white painted drywall box. Mm -hmm. So in turn, when we go to pitch those, when I flip through our photo deck, it doesn't look like the modern homes because we don't do modern homes. We typically do more traditional classic homes. Mm -hmm. At what point do, for example, my company, do we generate some photography that shows a beautiful theater in a white box that appeals to the younger, um, you know, kind of yuppie population that wants that ultra modern thing as a sales tool, because there's no difference in us doing that in a traditional home versus a modern home, other than we just haven't done it. So to get our foot in the door, is there an issue with that? Well, there's been stock photography for a very long time. So you could make an argument that you're using stock photography. I don't think the AI concept comes into play necessarily in marketing and advertising as long as you want to be as truthful as you can in advertising. I mean, people, you know, you could write a little tagline, you know, not an actual home. I don't know. There's, you know, there's <laughs> ways to do that. But, but I think to your point, I, I think it's more than just I want to branch out. I want to do things that maybe I don't have photography of my own work doing. I think it's more along the lines of when I ask ChatGPT to write copy for me, right? Or write a, a marketing statement for me. It's very easy because it's hyperbole and everybody understands it's marketing. And so if the ChatGPT goes, you know, a little south on you, you can bring it back. I think where it yeah. becomes more salient is things like proposals, for instance. You can't necessarily use it as a proposal tool because there's too much fact and figure that goes into a proposal for an AI to understand the methodologies of your business and be able to produce a proposal. But if you feed it with proposals that you've currently it, written, it's it's going to it's going to learn it and it's going to get better at it. But I think this is where the the line is drawn today is sort of between mm -hmm. the concept of creativity and the concept of, of facts and figures. Next, we're going to jump right into Resi Week episode 368, which I'm sad to say I was not a part of. Uh, and that's a shame because Amazon has been losing billions of dollars uh, through their voice assistant, Alexa. Is, and, and that's a conversation that I would have loved to be a part of. Notwithstanding, uh, we join Amanda Wildman, Scotty Allen, and Seth Johnson talking about what it means for the smart home space and vo voice assistance at large moving forward. I think you're going to see more of the pain point. They mentioned in the article about like the Amazon Prime with the shipping and the things like that. I think you're going to see more of a little pent up headache with individuals going and buying the individual products where us integrators, we've got a lot of our supply chain a little bit more figured out um, through our relationships and things like that. So I think that's going to affect the individuals perhaps a little bit more. 
Uh, but of course, the real thing coming in with voice is, you know, people have sat in their homes for two plus years now, and they're trying to push the envelope and see what they can do. So even though like there's talk of potentially going into recession, um, I don't see a huge slowdown, at least in my market area of people not adding in more devices or making more conveniences or seeing what it is that they can do now uh, with their home. All right, Seth, same kind of question. When you guys look at it from from your standpoint and also when you're talking to dealers and your customers, what what are they telling you as, as is the outlook for this year? Everybody seems pretty cautiously positive, I guess would be the best way to describe that. Um, it, it's everybody that is buying is still just going full speed. Uh, and, and we, when we get some product in that has been on short supply, uh, it's gone within a matter of minutes or hours. I mean, there, there's sometimes we get some particular access points and they're sold out within minutes of us putting, you know, 150 of them on the website and all of a sudden they're just gone. So there's, there's definitely still demand there. There's, and, and it's like, like Amanda said, it's just a matter of like knowing what you need to have in stock and know when, when you can get it and what is kind of in those short supplies um on the manufacturing side they're they're still struggling a, a little bit to get some of the product in although i'm now hearing better stories than i was for the past two years um you know i i i just talked with one vendor who i'll, I'll leave her name name nameless but like we we went out of the stock on their product probably towards the beginning of 2020 um they had a bunch of other issues besides the whole pandemic thing that that kind of led into that but it was just an unfortunate time for them uh when i spoke with him yesterday the day before they said that all back orders are going to be fulfilled by march and they're going to they have in transit five times the amount of product they need on this one or two particular SKUs that have been missing from their lineup for a while so um it's nature seems to be healing and and that that's that's a good thing for everyone Seeing this article and just talking about, you know, when you see a vendor like Amazon or any vendor see a retraction in sort of how they're supporting the market, um, smart home and what Amazon services in our market is very different than what we all do today, day to day, right? How they interpret smart home is maybe playing music on a smart speaker, right? And nothing else connected to that device. Um, so, you know, when we think about that and kind of some of the news that came out of Amazon, I don't think it really impacts where we're going or what our market's doing. It's just a good data point of what big tech's going through right now. Um, but as far as 2023 goes, um, you know, there is a lot of exciting tech that big tech can bring to us and then also the relationships that we have in other places. So, um, you know, if, if anyone does follow our CEO Alex's feeds and things like this, um, we're playing with a lot of exciting technology, um, ChatGPT being one of those technologies from OpenAI and how it can augment kind of the smart home experience. And specifically, we've been showing demos of ways that you can uh, give commands that, you know, a traditional smart home wouldn't know about, but with generative AI, now you can answer a lot more questions. And it's really exciting, um, you know, knowing what are the you know top Oscar movies with female actresses and getting a list of those and then being able to ask your TV to play one for you? It's pretty different than Googling that and then trying to prep for your Oscar party so you don't lose 10 bucks, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that 2023 is going to bring us different things, but it's interesting the kind of leading with this article around Amazon, but then seeing other technologies from OpenAI and Google's Bard that might actually be kind of the next generation of how we see our industry trying to adapt to how big tech, big tech can help us really. 
Our last stop comes in at Resi Week, episode 373. Back in March, the Women in Consumer Technology Group partnered with Cedia for seminars and other opportunities for women in the residential space. According to Cedia Board, Board Secretary Amanda Wildman, a highly skilled and diverse workforce benefits the entire industry. We talked with Amanda, as well as Katie McGregor-Bennett and Heather Sidorowicz, about what it means to provide opportunities like this for our industry. Uh, well, first of all, cheers to those who have put this together. I'm going to guess Amanda had a really strong role in this. Um, that this is not just um, we. This is not just women who have are in the industry already, but specifically on the install side, mm-hmm. um, in in teaching that because you you we don't have a lot of women in the industry. We have even less who are installing. I feel like Amanda's our poster child for this. She's uh, taking people out. She'll she's offered. She'll offer to anybody out that listens. Give Amanda a call. She'll bring you out into the wild and show you all the things that are late and great. Um, my sister worked for the company for five years. Um, she was an early uh, AV installer as well, and she went on to bigger and better things and is even she's just kicking butt just in the pro AV side now. Um, so what can we do? We can keep hiring women. It's not really nearly as complicated as everybody makes it out to be. Um, I honestly think that the best way to do it is when you find someone or see someone um, and they could be in a different industry, let them know that there is a place for them here invite them, talk to them, bring them out for lunch, break bread with them, and then hire them. And that is really the easiest and simplest way to bring more women into the industry. I love it. Amanda, obviously you had a lot to do with this. Tell us a little bit more about how it came to be. And and to Heather's point, how do we continue to grow that? Absolutely. Well, first of all, um, it's bringing together really Carol Campbell and Mandy Beckner um, at CEDIA, the head of education, and uh, kind of having an idea. I mean, I sit on certifications. And so I said, you know, it's been important for me to be uh, have those letters behind my name so that when I walk into a room, I feel like I have that legitimacy or that level of knowledge that people can't really argue with. So I said, wouldn't it be great to kind of offer an opportunity for women to have maybe a study group where it could be women there. They could ask the questions. Cause I know like sometimes it can be difficult or intimidating to ask a question in the room if you're the only female in the room or whatever. So having a study group set up for that is, is a great opportunity to get more women involved. And then also part of this whole announcement is there's a webinar series going on um, that Women in Consumer Technology is actually sponsoring um, with a throwback um, to my former years. I'm the speaker and I'm totally not remembering her name right now, Um, but she actually came from Dish Network and she's talking about how to grow your business and to be an ally or make a welcoming environment for women to join. So you don't just have to be a female to go on those webinars for that webinar series. Anyone can join those and uh, they can learn how do I make my work environment more productive to have women to be able to be there, have them be comfortable, allow them to grow into their knowledge and and grow into their being in this industry. And Heather's right. I mean, you just you just have to hire us. We're we're not as intimidating um, as as what you might think. Uh, just bring us on, and we're usually really really hard workers. I mean, I don't know if you've seen 
uh, women coming back into the workforce, even too, like ones that were maybe stay at home moms, they're really great multitaskers. They can be really phenomenal um, in your business and they understand efficiency at a totally different level. So um, hopefully these are opportunities for people, women to not only get certified, but for people to learn how to be allies and, and support getting more women in. I love it. Katie, let me, let me ask you not, maybe not the tough question, but the interesting question. And I don't, I don't disagree with either of you that it is very simple to go out and just hire a woman. Um, we keep hearing that the talent shortage of literally bodies, not trained, not certified, literally people with a pulse who will show up to work is incredibly challenging. And I will attest, at least for my company, it really stinking is. So I'm not, I'm not debating or, or trying to poke holes in the argument that just go hire a woman and that will start that process, but it's really hard to hire anyone these days. What do we do to combat that aspect while also continuing to encourage women to get into the industry? Hmm. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> wow, thanks. Thanks. This is why you have me come on this show. Do you want I'm me to answer this sure. one? Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, well, what do we do? Okay, well, here, I've got all the answers. Hold on. You ready? Here we go. Yep. Depends. Um, no, I mean, there is. Give it to me. There is, yeah. <laughs> I've if got you're just this. listening, I held up a pad to write it down. All right, so Matt, um, that that that's a challenge. We've we've talked about this a number of times on uh, already this year, and that you know I don't think anybody has a single single answer to it because I don't know where everybody went. I I thought the aliens took them for quite some time, and that they just magically were going to return them one day. Uh, I'm starting to think that that's not going to happen anymore, and that we actually are going to have to find these people from within our. It was the marble blip. Thanos snapped his fingers, and that's where they all went. See. See, see, this is what you, when you come on Resi Week, you get the answers to stuff and things like that. Um, but you know, I think it's you know Heather touched on a really good point, and I think that it's it, part of it comes from within, from within, which is you know we have to be the communicators of how amazing our industry is and how great it is to be part of it, and that it's evolving and it's growing, and that there is a lot of opportunity here. If if we're not shouting that from the rooftops as individuals within the industry and as a part of the community, then you know it's kind of like it's shame on us. Now it's not our fault. I'm, that is not what I'm saying, but we have to be more communicative of, of all of the benefits and the advantages because every other industry is out there doing that. And you know, so it's sort of like you know, as an individual, as a part of this community, we each of us are ambassadors um, to finding that next generation and, and helping to encourage them to come into our <laughs> into our domain and you know come over to our general in our general direction. Um, we have so much fun in this industry and it is such a small but big world that is so few really know what we do and, and the interesting nuances of everything that we do. You know, so I think, you know, like Amanda's out there in the schools, CD is out there in the schools, a lot of integrators are out at schools and really, you know, sort of talking the talk and, and showing that there is a pathway in. And I think we just generally speaking, we need to do more of that. I'm not saying anything that hasn't already been talked about. I just think we need more boots on the ground. Um, and we need, we need social media to be reaching. We need to be using social media to reach through to this audience more than we are right now. We're, we're just scratching the surfaces as business owners of using social media to promote what we do to ultimately find a buyer for the things that we sell. But if we put an equal energy and effort into communicating that there are opportunities here and that we're looking for, for talent, 
I, you know, I think that that would start to move the meter too. There's no single answer. And that's kind of the thing. It's just, you know, we have to, you know, as individuals and as companies, we have to be shouting from the rooftops and we have to be, we, we have to meet the people where they are. And so this is, you know, I, I keep kind of coming back to social media. That's where we're going to find our next generation because that's where they're talking. I'll jump in with some tangibility to that. What Katie's yeah. saying, what, what Amanda said too, is, is think outside the box and post not just on Indeed, but throw those posts on Facebook that you're looking for someone. Yeah. Ask a friend. Um, I have two females that work with me and both of them, I invited them um, to be part of our story. And both of them, it was a phone call that I made to say like, hey, I think you have something here. Why don't you come over and, and see what we have? Um, and both of them, when hired, were both not necessarily 100% back into the workforce after they had kids. So like Amanda touched upon, you can, you know, if you stop thinking about this 40-hour work week, but start thinking about, hey, we have the ability to add some work from home features or some flexibility mm -hmm. that others aren't thinking of, there, there's something to be said for that. So kind of thinking outside so, your normal nine to five, I'm just going to post a job posting um, is, I think, a tangibility of how to get there. And sometimes it's just the flexibility. I mean, if they're a mom or a parent, they need to get their kids dropped off at exactly. school and they need to maybe get them picked up or they need to check in with them. So like, I mean, all of our techs right now are on four 10 hour work, you know, days, work days, as opposed to, you know, they're still doing their 40 hour a week. That way they've got the one day for doctor appointments. Mm -hmm. I have one of my women that works for me and she's five days a week, but she comes in right after she drops her kids off at school. And then she's done when the kids get home from school. And then she does a little bit of work from home um, during that other time. So, I mean, having that flexibility and I will tell you, if you find somebody and you're willing to be flexible and they need that in a job, the efficiency, especially of like, like I said, the efficiency of women who can multitask mm -hmm. um, is, is pretty amazing. So, I mean, if you give them the opportunity, they're going to blow your minds, I think. That does it for us this year. Thank you again for joining us uh, every week as we look at the uh, the stories from the residential industry. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter and X at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.